This podcast may contain graphic and or explicit content that may not be suitable for some listeners, especially kids like me. <laughs> Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Real Life Podcast brought to you by the Thin Blue Line for Women. In this podcast, We open up and talk about real-life issues as they relate to first responders. It's raw, it's real, and it's about time. I'm Tamara, your host. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for joining me for this bonus episode titled Voices of the Blue. In this episode, I interviewed Jason Harney, producer and director of Voices of the Blue. Voices of the Blue is a documentary of true stories told by officers about their experiences after becoming physically and mentally injured in the line of duty. Voices of the Blue premieres on Friday, May 1st on YouTube. Again, thank you for joining me for this bonus episode and let's start the interview. pleasure of speaking with a retired police sergeant, Jason Harney, who is also the producer and director of the Voices of the Blue docuseries, which airs on YouTube May 1st. Jason, thank you for joining me. Uh, Great. Thank you for having me. So before we talk about the series Voices of the Blue, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, Well, you know, uh, I had a long 25-year career with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, and uh, I'm sure, like yourself, uh, experienced a variety of assignments uh, during that time, and retired in uh, the end of 2014, beginning of 2015, uh, so I've been retired for about five years now. Now, uh, just as, as, a, as a person who has always loved film and, and, and movies, that, that typical cinephile that you always hear about, I, uh, you know always wanted to do that and of course the calling to be a a cop came first and that was always the priority but uh, I started to learn the trade of filmmaking uh, really early on actually in the late 90s uh, I ended up working with uh, the video production unit at the Las Vegas Metro Police Department uh, in my off time and they uh, I was fortunate enough to have several mentors in there that uh, you know I guess in a uh, simple way showed me the ropes and, and so I, I worked with them quite a bit and uh, it got to the point where I opened my own production company in 2003 lightning digital entertainment and started doing you know commercials and and web videos for small businesses and you know that kind of work part-time I mean obviously as a police officer police sergeant as you know there there's a lot of uh, uh, dedication that comes with that as well and, and that certainly was the priority but I continued to hone my skills and uh, the plan was always that once I uh, reached the uh, retirement that I would go into it full time and have been uh, fortunate to be able to do so uh, over the last five years. Wow. Now, so you did it for 25 years. and I, I only did my, my career for 20 years. And you retired in 2014, 2015? Yeah, yeah, right. It was uh, like that first week of January, I think, was the actual retirement date. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I retired in 2016. It feels good, right? (laughs) 
you know it, it does it's it's just one of those things where uh you, you feel like i don't know a lot of times when when people ask about retirement i i change that narrative and say it really isn't a retirement to me i almost feel like i survived <laughs> you know what i mean uh yes. because yes. I, I know so many people that weren't as fortunate and i don't mean survive in the literal sense but more or less just coming out yeah. of that career as difficult as it can be sometimes uh feeling at least uh, generally, physically and mentally intact, because I know so many people, especially now, that uh, we're not as fortunate, you know, and so that that's something that uh, I always feel very lucky for uh, and thankful for uh, that I'm able to, to do what I do now. Right. And so that word survived is very important here. And that's going to lead us to talk about why you directed and produce the voices of the blue. So we'll get into that in a little bit. So during your 25 year career, what were your duty assignments? I know you had many, so what were they? Sure, you know what, I worked for a very large agency. Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, the agency around the time I left had 5,800 officers and, and, it's, and, and employees, and it's, it's uh, I'm sure grown since then. Um, covering, it's the only major police agency in the entire Las Vegas area. It's not like, you know, some of the other towns where, where you have uh, uh, a call and 10 different departments show up because you all have all these municipalities. Back in 1972, right. Las Vegas Metro incorporated, uh, consolidated into one agency. So it's just one huge agency. What that does, of course, is it allows you over your career to move around a lot. I remember that the standard in, in most cases was once you've been one place for two years, you start to think about moving on doing something else. A lot mm -hmm. of police agencies and, and cops don't have that luxury. But uh, again, I was very lucky to work for that department that, you know, I, I certainly consider to be uh, on the list of one of the best in the country. Um, so you start out in patrol, of course. Uh, from there, I became a field training officer. Uh, and then you know, one of the things that uh, I, I always respected from the very get-go was the, uh, they're called TAC officers in the police academy, training and counseling is what the acronym is for. And uh, kind of like a drill sergeant, but in, in the police level, everybody who's been through an academy certainly can relate to that. And it's something I always wanted to do. So uh, after I had done my time as a field training officer, uh, I went and spent three years uh, as a uh, TAC officer in our police academy. And... Uh, after that, I was a robbery detective for a few years and uh, promoted to sergeant, was a sergeant for 13 years. And in that time, uh, went back to the academy as, a, as an academy sergeant and did that for another three years. Um, there was a time frame where I was a uh, sergeant for our bike patrol downtown and uh, was a recruiting sergeant for a couple of years and uh, also a field training sergeant for several years. So you have the ability to move around and, and you gain a wide variety of experience in that way. Yeah, you've done a lot. So which one was your favorite assignment? Do you have a favorite? You know, yeah, you know, the, probably the most enjoyable was the one I was talking about is as a training and counseling officer and, and then ultimately becoming the sergeant of the police academy because I'll tell you something, you know, there are few things more satisfying than starting an academy with you know at times we had 125 recruits when we were doing a lot of hiring in one academy class you see them on day one but to watch them walk across the stage six months later and know that you played a part or a role in, in creating that police officer you know it, it's a very satisfying feeling and so oh, yeah. Sure. yeah without question some of my best memories uh on, on the agency 
come from being in that assignment. Um, but you know what? At the end of the day, I always loved wearing a uniform and, and patrol will always be near and dear just because that's that quintessential first responder role. And that's where you see, unfortunately, some of the uh, a lot of the things that we weren't, you know, humans are not meant to see. You just hope that you're wired properly to be able to uh, do your job and, and uh, you know, overcome those obstacles and help the people that really need it. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, you guys had a CSI uh, unit within Las Vegas PD, correct? The crime of course, scene investigation yes. unit? Yeah, that's what I did for 15 mm -hmm. of my 20 years. Yeah. So let's go into your production company. You said you opened it back in 2003, but you were still working. So when when did that when did that actually get its name? Like, did you did you name your production company, or did that? What's the background story on that? Well, Lightning Digital Entertainment, uh, it, it came from a, from a number of, of different thoughts. Like I said, I, I've always been very into movies. I mean, to the point where unless you know me, you really wouldn't know how, how much. You know, I'm the guy that, you know, when you get a DVD or Blu-ray, it has all those extras. I'm studying everything on there to learn how every frame of that movie was made. Wow. Um, Famously, uh, you know, Quentin Tarantino, I'm sure you know, he is a very famous movie director who did not go to film school. He, his first film was made on the heels of him working for years in a video store. And he famously said, well, I didn't uh, go to film school. I watched films, you know. And, and so another person who, you know, is a huge influence on me is, is uh, James Cameron. He's the director of Avatar, Titanic, Aliens, Terminator, etc. And one of the things that he always said as well was, you know, if you really want to be a filmmaker and you want to make a movie, then pick up a camera and make a movie. Do not let, you know, anything stop you, because especially today with the technology, you can make a movie on your iPhone. So, you know, if you have those creative uh, thoughts and, and you have a story to tell, then you got to do it. Now, back to the name, of course. Uh, why Lightning? Well, it's pretty much <laughs> this simple for the first 44 years of my life, I uh, uh, virtually worshipped a football team in Southern California, formerly known as the San Diego Chargers. If you're familiar with them, they have lightning bolts on their helmet. It's all part of their branding. So no question that influenced the name. Unfortunately, they betrayed me and the entire city of San Diego and left uh, in 2016. And I haven't watched an NFL game since Aww. as a result of that. No big deal. Moved on to bigger and better things is the way I would look at it. But, yeah, no, no question, uh, there was some influence there. And, uh, yeah, I just, you know, at that time, it, it was always part of the plan. Just, you know, I'm, like a lot of cops, you, you tend to be goal-driven, you know, and, and you know you're not going to be a police officer forever. Nobody should, you know, mm -hmm. you can only take so much of that. Right. And, you know, when we're fortunate enough to make it through that career and retire – um, I never really wanted police work to be the only thing that defines me. And I would always recommend that for, for any cop, you know, don't let that job be everything to you. You know, mm -hmm. it should be a substantial part. Sure. But, you know, there's got to be something that, that you do that, you know, help, helps you let out some of that steam and, 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 uh, you know, decompress a little bit. And, and for me, movies was always that thing, particularly, learning how to make them in every facet. That's interesting. So besides the Voices of the Blue, which we're going to get into in a little bit, what else have you produced? 
Well, to this point, uh, you know, when, when I when I retired, as I said, I was doing a lot of smaller projects, things that certainly wouldn't be as time consuming as attempting to do an actual feature film. Um, I cannot begin to describe uh, how long of a process that really is when you start something from its conception and, and then all of the moving parts, particularly when you're doing it all yourself, to the very final product and distribution of a film. So to this point, I've, I've uh, done three feature films, um, The Basketball Family, which came out in 2017, and it was a documentary about a, uh, I live in Las Vegas, and it was a uh, NBA player who retired here and ended up taking the reins of a small Christian school called Calvary Chapel and uh, turned them from a uh, perennial playoff dud to uh, a near championship quality team. So I followed them around for an entire season, interested in how somebody with that level of pedigree, having played at the very highest levels, uh, would, would uh, mentor and teach uh, these young men, uh, both in basketball and in life. And that's what that film was about. Uh, the next film that I made, actually I had two that came out in 2019. I shot Repeat Offender first. Uh, a friend of mine who works, uh, still currently works for the Las Vegas Metro Police, uh, spent 15 years as, as a detective in a unit called ROPE, which stands for the Repeat Offender Program. And he had a very uh, widely covered case here in Las Vegas and nationally. Uh, it was the Damon Monroe case. He was a, uh, a thief, a uh, commercial burglar thief who had amassed millions in stolen property. And uh, he wrote, uh, Brad Nichols, the name of the detective, he wrote a book called Repeat Offender. So I read it. It was in 2015. I was blown away by the book. Of course, I knew Brad. So one day I gave him a call and I said, what do you, what do you think we uh, uh, adapt this into a documentary film? And he had seen my first film, so he, he knew the, uh, the work I was capable of. And uh, so we did it. So Repeat Offender was the uh, second film. And then the final film is uh, The Wounded Blue, kind of more like what we're here to talk about today. Now, The Wounded Blue uh, also has a story behind it. Uh, Lieutenant Randy Sutton. Um, a lot of people in police circles are familiar with, with Randy and the work that he has done. He has been a national voice in law enforcement for, for several decades. He has written four books. He's a spokesman for national spokesman for Blue Lives Matter. Uh, very prominent in those police circles. When he retired in 2010 after a 34-year career, and our careers paralleled over a couple decades, so I knew him very well, uh, he suddenly, you know, started getting a lot of Facebook emails and, and, and messages from cops all around the country who were injured and, dis and disabled but were being screwed over by their agencies, okay? Something I was not familiar with because working for a large agency, uh, as far as I knew, my department took care of people like that, and I knew plenty of them, okay? But I can also vouch for the fact they were taken care of. Mm -hmm. Apparently, this is not as common across the country, so I have found. And Randy was getting a lot of these messages, and so he'll tell you the last thing in the world he thought he would be doing in his retirement is, is, is helping these people, but that was his calling. And he started the Wounded Blue, which is an organization uh, that advocates for injured and disabled police officers. Um, he got with me knowing that I had gone into filmmaking and said, uh, I'd like to uh, partner with you and produce a documentary film. And my suggestion was that we would highlight 
the stories that inspired him to create the organization. So we chose six police officers, six stories uh, of, of various people across the country who, who kind of fit that criteria uh, as having been injured in disabled line of duty and then went into a workers' comp system that failed them. Their agencies left them feeling forgotten alone. And it was really just a, a theme where the faces might be different, but the story was the same. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so that film came out in March of 2019 uh and and you know ha- has been uh very successful you know critically acclaimed within law enforcement circles especially as something that it was timely and needed because i think we can all agree that uh it's a problem we have to address right so that's called the wounded blue and that's woundedblue.org correct it's a nonprofit. Uh, the wounded the wounded is is the organization yes the film okay. is also called the wounded blue Okay. And, and uh, yeah, that would be a completely separate thing. But but yes, so you have the organization that Randy started and then you have the, the film uh, that I made about his organization. OK, wonderful. So that so if uh, listeners want to go visit that and find out more about it, it's the wounded dot org. OK, so yes, let's take for the organization. Yep. Right. For the organization. OK. And if they wanted to watch the wounded blue. How do they log on and watch this on their computer? What are the steps to do that? Well, you can actually go well beyond your computer. You can watch it on your TV set. It's a distributed film. So you can go to uh, Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, Microsoft Store, all of the standard streamers and and watch it right on your television set. Uh, You can either rent or purchase it currently. So Wonderful. I believe the re- okay. I believe the rentals like two ninety nine, and the proceeds to that go directly to the Wounded Blue organization. So you know okay. you're, you're you're watching a film, but you can know that the money is actually going to help uh, the peer team that supports injured cops nationally. Right. Okay. Let's take a quick break, and when we return, we're going to delve into the voices of the blue. We'll be right back. Have you ever wondered what being a part of CSI is really like? If so, here's your chance to experience it. My book titled Through My Eyes, CSI Memoirs That Haunt the Soul, contains 11 personal accounts of the most grueling and heartbreaking crime scenes I worked during my 15 years in the Crime Scene Investigations Unit. While reading my book, you'll walk inside the crime scene tape with me. You'll catch a glimpse of what I saw, touched, smelled, and even tasted during an average workday. I'll take you on a difficult journey of memories, uncovering layers of emotional trauma left behind. So if you're considering a job in CSI, this is the book for you. Or if you're just wondering what it's like to work in CSI, again, this is the book for you. Through My Eyes is available in the ebook format and paperback on Amazon. Are you interested in CSI or forensics? The Forensic Science Academy program has been recognized as the premier training program completely dedicated to students who are launching their forensic career. The Academy offers specialized hands-on training modules in basic and advanced crime scene investigation, forensic photography, fingerprint identification and classification, crime scene management, and coroner investigations. 
Instruction is offered in the form of weekend workshops, online courses, webinars, and seminars. Training at the Academy of Forensic Science will give students the competitive edge employers and agencies are looking for when hiring. Past graduates are now working as crime scene investigators, private investigators, forensic pathologists, coroner investigators, forensic nurses, forensic accountants, and even criminalists. The courses are taught by forensic professionals who are experts in the field and hold membership in the International Association for Identification and other professional forensic organizations. For more information, visit ForensicScienceAcademy.org. Again, that's ForensicScienceAcademy.org. And Voices of the Blue is your next docu-series. And you created this, you produced it, directed it, and edited it. That's amazing. So what is the Voices of the Blue docuseries about? Well, you know, one of the sad things about this whole cause in reference to the Wounded Blue is, is yes, we, we profiled six officers that inspired Lieutenant Randy Sutton to create his organization. That isn't to say there are six officers nationwide that are suffering from this. It's actually a, a, a tragic epidemic. Uh, I, don't, I probably don't need to tell, talk to you about you know, the epidemic of police suicide and that last year, actually for the last three years, uh, law enforcement suicides have outnumbered the amount of in-the-line-of-duty deaths, which is just such a heartbreaking statistic when you think about that uh, and, and what the ramifications of that actually are. Um, so uh, it made sense after we made the documentary film to continue to tell these stories. You know, with, 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 uh, with Randy, one of the things that I thought was important was to continue to put out content that is telling these stories because I think that in order for it to resonate, people are going to need to continue to hear it and see different faces attached to that, uh, make it more of a mainstream topic, if you will. And so I pitched him the idea of creating a series. Prior to this, of course, you know, as we just talked about, we're asking people, people to pay $3 to watch a feature film. Uh, but here's the problem. If it's Saturday night and you're looking for your family's entertainment that week and, and you're going to punch up a movie and you're got in one hand the Wounded Blue documentary that's about police suicide and, and injured cops and, and really sad, tough, dark subjects, and on the other hand, you have Avengers Endgame. Which one are you going to choose? That's the problem we, we, we come up with, right? So the thinking here is we create a, a YouTube channel called Wounded Blue TV. And the debut content on that uh, channel is going to be this new six-part docu-series, Voices of the Blue, which uh, will, of course, be free. It's on YouTube. Uh, premieres on May 1st. And... The idea is we're going to continue to tell stories through this series, giving cops a voice and letting them tell the stories themselves, just as they do in the Wounded Blue film, but now just on a different platform, a different format, a different medium. Okay, so, so it's going to have six parts, six episodes, starting May 1st. And if I've done my math correctly, it'll end on Friday, June 5th, correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. Can you tell us the titles of all six episodes? Yeah, the May first episode uh, 
which is the premiere episode, is called The Consequences of Trauma. Uh, and, and it's going to feature two LA, the stories of two uh, LAPD officers, one retired and uh, one who uh, is, is a former LAPD officer. Both of them had different circumstances, different careers uh, uh, during, during their time that led to severe PTSD and were affected uh, by that and, the, and suffered from the symptoms of PTSD through their personal lives and the aftermath of their respective incidents that they were involved in. Uh, in the first episode, we're also going to introduce one of the experts we brought on for the series, uh, an author and journalist named uh, Alan Cates. He is an expert, a nationally renowned expert in post-traumatic stress disorder as it relates to law enforcement. And he wrote what many consider, including myself, to be the groundbreaking book on law enforcement and PTSD. It's called Cop Shop. Now, this will shock you. It came out in 1999. The stories in Cop Shock pretty much take place in mostly the 70s and 80s until he did a revised version and added some 9-11 stories. Uh, 21 years later, after that book, and we still don't have a grip on this subject, and this topic in, in law enforcement, which is truly sad. Uh, I wish more people would have heeded the advice in the book and understood the stories, but that uh, this sadly just hasn't been the case. Uh, one of our uh, LAPD officers in The Consequences of Trauma literally credits that book for saving his life in the late 90s because he, he had a career that spanned from the mid 80s through the 90s, going through everything from uh, the Rodney King riots in 92 to the Rampart scandal in uh, the uh, mid to later 90s and had PTSD but didn't know it and had an agency that wouldn't give him the help that he needed. Just kind of shoot him away. Well, unfortunately, those symptoms got worse and, you know, he ended up losing his job over it. So that'll be in the first episode. Uh, the second episode, which will air a week later, is called Not All Heroes Wear Capes. tells the story of Jacksboro, Texas Police Sergeant Houston Gass, a very no another very prominent name in law enforcement circles because of his incident. Uh, the third episode is called The Massive German Shepherd, which is uh, going to be an episode dedicated to uh, PTSD service dogs, dogs who are specially trained to uh, be with and help PTSD sufferers. And we go over some of the research that's involved uh, in that and, and how, uh, uh, how well they actually do in, in helping cops that really need it. Uh, I'm, gonna pause you. I'm gonna pause you for a quick second. A lot of my followers on Twitter, Thin Blue Line for Women, they love canine. So all of you listeners out there, remember the third episode is going to be Massive German Shepherd about PTSD when it comes to these animals. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I have a lot of followers on Twitter who love the canine dogs and they follow a lot of them. So go ahead. Yeah, I, I actually have no doubt that the third episode is going to be one of the more popular episodes. And, and I, I, I think that one of the main reasons for that is, is what you just said, of course, you know, obviously uh, dogs and canines are of great interest and very popular. I mean, who, who doesn't mm -hmm. love, who doesn't love dogs? Right. Uh, I think when, when people see the good that they do in this arena in a way that I don't think has really been seen before, uh, I, I think people will be absolutely astounded and amazed. And it's a very heartwarming episode, you know, yeah. for all the, the dark subjects and, and negative topics that the wounded blue covered. And then of course, 
a lot of the same in, in voices of the blue. It's inevitable. We have to tell the truth. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, an episode like that, I think is going to bring a lot of positive vibe to the, to the watching uh, of the series. Yeah. That's um, good. Unfortunately, there are truths that have to be spoken about in episodes four and five are our stories. One is called the darkness of depression. And the fifth episode is called when the nightmares will not stop. And, and they, they range from one of the officers that uh, entered the Pulse nightclub, uh, one of the first to enter mm. uh, on that fateful night and, and, and obviously suffered tremendous uh, mental injuries as a result. Uh, we have an officer who was involved in a traffic accident in Texas and got a spinal injury, but her department ignored the injury, allowed her to work full duty. Uh, would not give her any workers' comp benefits and forced her in order to to basically get her own spinal surgery and pay for it at 33% interest. So it's it's, it's this very sad story because of the way it affected her. Um, But the last two episodes in particular speak on a theme that is is very common in this country. Let me just first start by saying that about 80% of all the police departments in this country have less than 20 officers. So they're all small agencies. They are not, they do not have the structure to be able to have plans for their officers being involved in critical incidents and helping them in the aftermath. They do not have peer teams. Their workers' comp systems are broken. Uh, And in many cases, when these cops are involved in these incidents, if they're shot, they get in a terrible traffic accident, they're assaulted or knifed or any of the things that happen to cops every day. Uh, they can lose up to 75% of their income the second it happens. And right. stories, you know, of losing their house, losing their car, uh, not being able to put food on the table for their family. These are the realities across America uh, that our cops are dealing with. And it is an issue that is not being addressed by the agencies, mm-hmm. not addressed by the insurance, the greedy insurance companies. And you'll see a lot of that in the fourth and fifth episodes as we talk about those stories because if you can't come back from your injury most often in most agencies within one year guess what happens you get terminated you get terminated yes thank you for your playing thank you for your service you know mm-hmm. the, the, the uh, officer omar delgado he was in a, from an agency outside of orlando he's the he's the one that responded to the pulse nightclub shooting he actually was credited with saving the life of a, of a man named Angel Cologne, uh, who, who was uh, shot several times and also had a broken femur because he was trampled in the chaos. And uh, he pulled him out um, right in the middle of the mass shooting, saved his life, was nationally credited for this by numerous news agencies. But within a year after that, he was fired because he hadn't recovered from his emotional injury. You know? So that, that's what we're dealing with, and, and that's what really what Voices is, of the Blue is all about. Because something I found in making both the Wounded Blue film and now this series is these stories do get covered by the media, but they're contained where they happen. They never spread out of the city, you know? One of, it, 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 it's just astounding to me. Um, none of these stories make it outside of the locale where they happened, especially when it comes to the officer. You never hear about the fact that they ended up getting fired because they had such severe PTSD and the department, you know, didn't know what to do with them. They're not right, prepared. Right. right. And that's where, that's where an organization like uh, Randy Sutton's the wounded blue comes in because they're there 
to ensure these officers are not left to feel forgotten and alone. Because you know what happens when they start to feel that way. You go to those very yeah. dark places. Yeah. And it's very right. sad. Now how did how do you or or Lieutenant Sutton choose the officers for these documentaries? I mean, how, how do you actually find these people and choose which ones are going to be in your films? You know, uh I think uh, it's from a variety of sources, you know, uh, not unlike the way you and I met, actually. You know, sometimes it's through social media and through other contacts and people that you've talked to. I know that uh, uh, we, we met through Lori Cooper, you know, and, mm -hmm. and of course, I've been speaking with her for uh, well over a year now. And, and I'm very mm -hmm. familiar with her story and, and uh, you know, everything that she's done. And she's been one of our greatest uh, cheerleaders and supporters and continues to be. Uh, to this day, help, helping us, uh, you know, get people to the YouTube channel to subscribe and prepare for this series because she uh, wholeheartedly believes in this cause and, and has experienced herself as a family in law enforcement exactly uh, what the ramifications of, of a police officer having and suffering from PTSD mm -hmm. really are. She knows, which is yeah. why she's behind it 100%. Yeah. And, and uh, sometimes I wish... I wish there were a thousand Lori Coopers out there, you know, <laughs> putting pedal to the metal and, and helping with this cause. But unfortunately, it's one of these uh, it's one of these topics that there's no money in it. The media won't cover it. Right. We have right. we have an unfortunate uh, narrative in this country that is anti-police in some mm -hmm. circles, as you know, that's those are difficult things to deal with. We're trying right. you're when you're trying to drum up sympathy of sorts for for real issues some people won't listen, you know, right. but people like Lori Cooper are out there really pushing people like Randy Sutton are out there really pushing. And, you know, for my part, from the filmmaking side, I, you know, I feel it's important to make these films, but where do we find them? Oh, all over the country. You know, you'll see in voices of the blue, we traveled to Los Angeles. How did we meet uh, Alex Salazar and Stuart guy from the first episode? Well, Alex Salazar, Salazar saw the wounded blue and was so moved by it because of his own story. He's like, finally, somebody made a movie about what I am feeling. You know? That's awesome. And, That's and awesome. isn't that the most important thing for a lot of these guys? Yes. To not feel that they're alone. That's what right, it comes right. down to. Yeah. So, you know, uh, for the second episode, when we, uh, we traveled to uh, uh, Jacksboro, Texas, uh, it's just outside of Dallas-Fort Worth, about 60 miles. And uh, that's where the Not All Heroes Wear Capes event is held. Mm -hmm. um, they've, done, they've done two events in the last two years, each of the last two Octobers. The last event that we went to, 36 injured and disabled cops were brought there, put up in cabins on a lake, had a big, big event, food, entertainment, and were all honored with Purple Hearts on stage by... Uh, Houston, who has been in his own incident, as everyone will see in the second episode, uh, and his partner, Banning Sweatland. They're both sergeants on that agency. And they do that to give back because they know how important it is. Well, um, we went to that event and, and had pre-set up interviews for Voices of the Blue with several people. That's where we got, you'll see Omar Delgado, the guy from Pulse Nightclub. You'll see John Loughran, who was a former Travis County, Texas sergeant, um, and then Houston himself, his wife, to cover the family angle. So, yeah, we, we uh, go to events like that and, 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 you know, have interviews set up uh, where we can pull them aside, you know, go into a, an office or a building or whatever and, and do that documentary interview. 
that I should point out is not like an interview on Fox News or CNN or where, where the host dominates it and they only get to say right, 10 right. seconds of their story and they right. get cut off. Uh, these guys get to tell it like it is, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it's it's still short form, but it's a lot longer than the news, which is why I like, you know, that documentary format, because right. you, you can produce a 60 minute style segment that really will let them tell their story and, and have an audience understand what the problems really are when you look at the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Now, have you read my book, Through My Eyes, CSI Memoirs That Haunt the Soul? I have not yet, uh, since I just found out about it when you told me a couple <laughs> days ago. But yes, I am going to be ordering that because, yeah, I'm very interested. Well, it just reminds me of your docu-series that's coming out. It's and, and what that gentleman said, I think he said he was from L.A. or San Diego, that he was watching The Wounded Blue and finally went, oh, my gosh, finally somebody that understands what I went through. That That's one of my hopes for my book is that is that another cop or or you know, a police officer will read it and say to themselves, okay, good. I'm not the only one that's suffering from this, you know, 20 years later or 10 years later or whatever. Those were, those were 11 of my worst crime scenes that I ever worked. And I'm retired now. And I thought I had this, I had this misconception that once I retired, all those memories would just go away and I would not think about them anymore, but that didn't happen about six months into my retirement, they all just came flooding back. And I would, I would see, you know, victims' faces in other faces at the store and it would just catch my, catch me off guard, you know, little things would happen. And, and I talk about those in my book and I, I was like, what is going on? Why are all these things just hitting me all of a sudden? I'm not even a, a cop anymore, you know? And that's why I started writing my stories down. And so I think that the Voices of the Blue is really going to be, well, it is going to be powerful. It's going to be um, therapeutic for people to watch. It's going to be, um, I, 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 there's so many adjectives that I want to throw in here, but I think everyone needs to watch it. Cops, families, everyone, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to really let them see um, behind the badge, like what these, what these human beings actually went through on the job. It's so important for them to tell their stories, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, a lot of times I, I think, I think you'll probably agree that just, just you writing that book was in a sense therapeutic for you, you know, to, to be able oh, yeah. to just kind of lay it all out there and, and come to grips with yeah. the uh, her horrific things that, that you had to see while performing your duties. I mean, and, and, and you did it and, and you got through it and now you're retired. And it, I think it's a great thing when uh, a law enforcement officer uh, feels comfortable enough to share their stories for the reasons you just said, because it's going to help somebody else, you know, start to understand their own issues from their mm -hmm. own experiences. Yeah, it took me a long time to write it. Um... A couple of years to get the nerve and finally uh i just said i, I just got to do it now so in the beginning of my interview with you you used the word survived uh, you survived um as a police officer and that's exactly how i think too like thank god it's over <laughs> i don't want to do it again i survived that 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 15 year csi experience so i'm gonna get a little personal with you jason have you personally experienced a traumatic incident at work that's bothered you and rocked you to the core? You know, it, it, it's funny. I, uh, I've been, 
I had never got that question. And then all of a sudden there have been people that have asked me that just in the last week. And, and I was, I didn't really know how to answer that. You know, I guess the short answer would be, I, I don't want to say no. You, we all have memories of different things that, that occurred on the job. And, and certainly just like any, any cop, I, I was involved in, you know, a number of incidents that, uh, you know, to, to many would be considered, uh, you know, harrowing and, 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 you know, things that at, most people don't want to see. It's inevitable. You're going to see those things. Um, I would say this. First off, uh, it is estimated that about a third of all police officers suffer from PTSD in this country. And I believe there's about 850 to 900,000 cops. So you figure if about a third of them are suffering from these symptoms, that's a problem. But it also should be noted that two-thirds are not. And, and the best way I can explain that is I think that there are some people that are just wired to handle certain things mentally potentially a little bit better. I, I think it's fair to say that experiences, uh, be, be what they are, ex they, they affect people differently. We're all different. We all mm -hmm. handle things differently. You know, everybody has strengths and weaknesses and, and, and you're going to handle situations differently and you're going to remember things differently. It's just human nature. Me personally, um, you know, you, 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 you go to those calls and, and you see those things. I, I always just looked at it as a sense of duty at my job and, and, you know, never really thought about things beyond what I was supposed to do to handle the problem uh, or help the person that was in need. And, you know, unfortunately, when you do a job for, you know, two and a half decades, you, <laughs> you, you're just on to the next call because that's mm -hmm. what you do. You know, mm -hmm. you don't really have a choice. That's why people right. are calling you, you know. Um, I, I use the term survive. Uh, I feel as though I am, you know, physically and emotionally as intact as, as, as I possibly could be. Uh, I'm sure there's something there, but nothing like I've seen with some of the uh, people that we've spoken to, you know, who, who uh, ha have just had, you know, I, I was lucky. I was never shot in the line of duty. Many of the people that we've interviewed both for the Wounded Blue and for Voices of the Blue Hat and, and, and you know, ha have walked into the scene of mass shootings, uh, ha have lost uh, squad members to tragic accidents, you know, or have been severely injured to the point of, of needing to have your spine fused. I mean, I have not experienced those types of things. What I tell people is I feel lucky, you know, I like, I feel very lucky and thankful. And I think I've already said this earlier, uh, to, to be where I'm at today, because I fully realize that not everybody, uh, had the opportunity just, just from, from either luck or, or circumstances and a variety of factors. Does that make sense? Right. It does make sense to me. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it does. So the voices of the blue is your docu series and it premieres on Friday, May 1st on YouTube. And so a lot of people out there are going to be rushing to their computers on Friday, May 1st to watch this. Now, is it, is it going to be, um, able to be watched all the time or is it just airing on that day how do, how is that going to work and how do they search for it in their in their search engine well uh one thing you can do right now uh is the, the channel is up 
just has no content yet, doesn't have the series. Well, that'll be the flagship series for the channel. But you can uh, search for Wounded Blue TV, and uh, that will bring the channel up, and you can subscribe to it. If you're not familiar with YouTube, by subscribing to it, it the any content from that channel that is then posted will appear in your subscriptions and, and in your feed. So you'll then be able to uh, know when the episodes are coming out because they'll pop up on your phone or tablet or computer. Um, right. So either searching for searching for uh, Wounded Blue TV will get you to the channel. When May 1st gets here and the first episode is posted, you'll then be able to also search for Voices of the Blue, and it will also bring up uh, the first episode and each consequent ep episode after that. Wonderful. Okay. And that's Friday, May 1st. And it's titled Voices of the Blue, and it's on Wounded Blue TV. Jason, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for inviting all of these cops around the world to get together and tell their stories. It really does. I mean, what you're doing is huge. Um, I don't know if you feel that way. I, I, I think you you should walk around with a big S on your on your shirt because you and Randy Sutton are telling these stories. You're, you're enabling people to tell these stories. So without you and without Randy Sutton, these people don't have a voice. Does that make sense? So, so thank sure. you for doing that. Well, thank you very much, Tamara. Thank you for having me. Yes, you're welcome. And, and again, May 1st, which is Friday, Voices of the Blue. Thank you so much, Jason. The Real Life Podcast was recorded and is being made available by Anchor.fm and its affiliates solely for the informational and entertainment purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided and or expressed on the Real Life Podcast are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers, and are responsible for all show content and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the agencies and communities that the guests may serve. Some parts of the Real Life Podcast may contain adult content intended for people who are 18 years of age or older. Please listen responsibly.